All right, saints, we are back in the Word of God. Um, praise God. And you know what we're going to pick back up in? Ephesians. Y'all like, but that was like three, four months ago, right? So we will pick back up in Ephesians chapter 4, right where we left off. Um, Ephesians 7, chapter 4, verse 7. But I will give you a recap. Um, if you recall, the first three chapters of Ephesians are doctrine, orthodoxy, right? We get the gospel. We, we see how we are chosen from the foundation of the world. We see how God has made us sons and daughters. Um, in chapter 2, he goes on to show us how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But because of God's great love and his mercy for us, that he, um, he makes us alive with Christ Jesus. Then we see the uh, more in chapter 2. We see that division between the Jew and the Gentile and how Jesus comes and tears down that wall and how we now are all in one family and house. And then we go into chapter three where Paul is talking about his gift. And he in three, he really goes and he explains the mystery of the gospel um, and how God has done it all to, to show his glory and how Paul, Paul speaks to his own personal calling and his role in that. And he ends chapter 3 with a nice doxology reminding us who all the glory belongs to, which is God. And then that brings us into chapter 4. And the difference from the first three chapters to 4 is that 4 deals with orthopraxy, orthopraxis, which deals with more of your action, right? So the first three chapters are more doctrine, right understanding, right teaching. And then chapter 4 and going forward, it's all about in light of this right teaching that I've received from Paul, in light of this right gospel, this doctrine, I live my life this way. So that's orthopraxy. And so that's what you have here in chapter 4. Now it's how do I live in light of this good news, in light of me now being saved and um, a part of the body of Christ. How should I live my life going forward? And so that's what you have on chapter 4 going to the end where you get a lot of doctrine and how we ought to live and how we ought to think in our actions. And then in chapter 4, if you recall, um, I was looking at the last time I preached this, it was at Anthony's house. And remember, uh, we called it cancel culture versus Christian culture. In chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, we looked at how Christians, as Christians, we have to have patience with one another. We can't be so quick to cancel one another like the culture is doing right now. We don't do that, but we have meekness. We have long-suffering, which is meekness. We have uh, we're humility, or we have, uh, we're humble with one another. Uh, we show peace to one another. Um, so all of those different things that makes us different as Christians from the world who's just out there. If you say this one thing I don't like, you're canceled. I don't like you anymore. That's not how we get down as Christians, right? We have to bear with one another, as Paul says. And so when you bear with one another, that means that you and some other Christians may disagree on the matter. And you have to bear with one another and put up with one another. They're still your brother or sister in Christ. And so we don't subscribe to cancel culture like the world does right now. We bear with one another. We're, we're patient with one another. And so that's what we looked at the last time we were here, verses uh, 1 through 6. And today... What we're going to do is we're going to read verse 4 all the way to 15 because there's a connection there. Uh, we're not going to look at all those verses, but we're going to read there. So that is Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 4 all the way to 15. 
And the subject for today, just if you're wondering, it'll be spiritual gifts, our spiritual gifts. We're going to look at that. That'll be our subject today. But in order for us to fully understand the few verses we're going to look at, you want to look at the whole context. So we'll start in verse 4 and go all the way down to 15. The Word of God reads, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But, seven, this is where we're really going to uh, spend the most of our time at. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, Paul's going to give us some, his uh, own personal commentary here. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all in all. 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, major contrast here, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him and to him who is the head even Christ. We're just going to stop there. Who's the head? Even Christ. So, the first verses we looked at here, verses 4 through 6, the apostle here, we're just summarizing for you. The apostle here, he's given us really the first or the original Apostles' Creed. Some of you are familiar with the Apostles' Creed, right? Well, Paul here in verse 4 to 6 is first giving us the, the true and original Apostles' Creed because in here he's showing us that these are, these, these are the close-hand doctrines that we as Christians must agree on, right? These are the non-negotiables. And how we know these are non-negotiable doctrines because in verses 4 to 6 he uses the word one, right? He says there's one body, one spirit, just as you are called in one hope, one one calling, one Lord, one faith. There's one God and Father over all who is in all and through all. So right here, Paul has given us the true or the original Apostles' Creed. And he's showing us what the closed-handed Christian doctrines look like. When I say closed-handed Christian doctrines, these are doctrines that we have to have unity around. These are our teachings and understandings that we can't negotiate with. These are ones that we hold tightly to us. So Paul is laying out here in verse 4 to 6 that the things or the doctrines that we have to have unity around. And he says that there's one of those. And so we know since there's only one of those, there can't be multiple. So these are not open-handed doctrines, right? There are, cer there are certain things in a Christian faith that, yes, my brother or this church over here, they may believe differently or they may believe differently over here. But when it comes to these things here, being one spirit, one Lord, one calling, one hope, Paul is saying these are the things where we must be unified around. These are the closed-handed doctrines. One Lord, one faith, all of that, right? But from this, matter of fact, I, before I get there, 
I also want to point out this about Paul in these verses here. What Paul is saying here in verses 4 to 6 is really, it's really profound. Yes, he's laying out some doctrinal things that we all must agree on. But you must understand that in the first century, the first century was a very pluralistic society. Meaning that there were multiple gods everywhere, right? And for a person to come and say that there's only one God, one faith, one hope, that is a profound statement. Paul, by these verses in verses 4 to 6, is really pushing against the culture. He's pushing against society. Matter of fact, it was probably even more difficult for Paul to make that statement back then than it is now. Because back then, they really didn't have many atheists. Everybody believed in some type of small g God. You had multiple gods. And you had this thing called syncretism where you would get this faith and this religion and this God and you would kind of put them together. And so you had all of these different gods. So you, since you didn't have very many atheists, you wouldn't have gotten much ob objection from a Christian just saying, yes, I have a God and you have a God and, and both our gods are right. You would get no objection from that. But by Paul saying here in these, four, in these verses from four to six that there's only one of this, one of that, one of this, Paul is really making a profound statement and he's really pushing back against the culture. But what, the next thing that Paul does from verses four to six, after showing our unity, Paul, now he's going to pivot and show us that out of this unity, there's also diversity, right? That out of this unity, there's also diversity when it comes to spiritual gifts. So he's going from verse six, verse four to six, by showing us where we ought to have doctrinal unity, but he's then going to show us from verse seven on down, how from this doctrinal unity comes this diversity of spiritual gifts of these spiritual gifts. And in this chapter here, Ephesians 4, Paul is only going to highlight four spiritual gifts, or I'm sorry, five spiritual gifts here. And that is, he's going to highlight the, um, the offices of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teacher, which some call the five-fold ministry. If you heard people say, I believe in the five-fold ministry, they're saying, I believe in all of the gifts of Ephesians, that these gifts that Christ has given to the church are in the offices of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, to be fair, I just want to let you know that there's people that disagree on the last one. As far as pastors and teachers, they'll put that as one office, as verses five. So they see more of a four-fold ministry versus a five-fold ministry. But here in Ephesians 4, Paul is going to lay out these five major gifts that Christ has given to the church. These major leadership offices or spiritual gifts that he's given to the church. And notice that in these five, none of them are the same, right? None of them are the same. The evangelist, the prophet, the pastor, the teacher that he's showing us down here in, in the following verses, none of them are the same. All of them are different, but they all work together for this one goal, this one unity, which is the glory of Christ. So that is the first thing that I want you to see here is that Paul, he's showing us how even though we got to have unity and these central doctrinal things, yet from this unity, there comes this diversity of gifts. So these gifts that he's showing us here all come from Christ. Now here's the thing about these gifts that Paul is saying that we now have in verse 7. Matter of fact, I'm going to back up and I'm going to read these verses again to you so you can really follow me and see where I'm going. So in verse 7 he says, But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, it says, when he ascended on high, he led hosts a captive. He led hosts captives and he gave gifts to men. 
Now I want you to notice what he says in verse 7 here. He says, but to each one of us this grace is given. So what does that mean? That means that every Christian, every believer, guess what? This grace, which is in the form of a spiritual gift, has come to you. That every Christian, every believer has some type of spiritual gift. And it's not that just Pastor Brian and I have been given this uh, spiritual gift to teach the word of God and preach the word of God. But know that everybody, that's why Paul says in verse 7, but to each one of us, this grace has been given to the measure of Christ's gift. So every person, every believer, all of you, we all have a spiritual gift. None of us are exempt. None of us are empty. Some of us are going to have multiple spiritual gifts that God has given us, and some of us may only have a few. But because Paul said to each one of us, sorry, Sister Debbie, since Paul said to, that since each one of us has been given this grace, which is a spiritual gift that he's alluding to, that means that every believer, every born-again Christian has this gift. And so on today, the thing that we're going to focus on, we're going to first, we're going to identify the giver of the gift, which you kind of already know. Then we're also going to look at the means by which the gift is given to the church or to believers. We're also going to look at the spirit in which the giver of the gift dispensed these gifts to the believers. And then next week, not today, we'll look at the identity of the gifts more in detail. So we'll look at apostles, prophets, and evangelists, and pastors, and teachers. We'll kind of dig into each one in detail, but today we're not. We're only going to focus on the first two. Then we'll also look at the purposes of the gift that God has given to the church and to believers. And then finally, we're going to look at the goal of the gifts that God has given to the church and to the believers. So that's where we're headed this week, and that's where we're headed next week. But this week, we're only going to focus on, focus on the first two. We're going to focus on the giver of the gift. We're going to focus on the means by which the giver gives the gift. And then we're going to focus on the spirit of which the giver gives the gift. So that's where we're headed today. And next week, we'll hit on those others. So that's just a little summary. So let me start off by saying this or reminding this. In the ancient days... When a king or ruler would return home from a victorious battle, there would be a celebration in the city. For example, when World War II was over, there was a large parade in New York, right? People lined the streets and people celebrated. That's the same thing that people would also do in the first century. So when a, like a Roman army, for example, when they would come in from a victory, the general and his army, they would be walking in, they would be parading their, their, their enemies. Sometimes their enemies even had their family. They would be bringing all the spoils of war and they're walking in. As they're walking into the city, you have people on both sides of the city. Some people have incense in their hands and the, and, and, and the citizens are just shouting and they're shouting triumph, triumph. Why? Because their army has won. So as they're walking to the city, everybody's just celebrating, and sometimes the army, they're taking the spoils of war, and they're, they're throwing them out to the crowd, and they're, everybody's cheering and, and shouting. This is called a, a triumph in the Roman days. This is a Roman triumph. It was a, a major event. It, it actually kind of reminds me of Mardi Gras. If you've, I, I've never been to Mardi Gras, but I've seen images of Mardi Gras where you have people walking in the streets, and they have costumes on, and you have people throwing out beads, and they're throwing out necklaces, and people are are grabbing them and they're having a really good time. Well, guess what? This is how the Bible describes Jesus as he's dispensing gifts to the church or to the believers. Did you know that? 
This is how the Bible describes Jesus. It's this, it's this celebratory get, uh, event that Jesus is now dispensing gifts to his church after he has victoriously defeated his enemies. How do we know that? Because that's how Paul is describing these gifts here in verse 7. See, in verse 7 and 8, Paul is quoting Psalm 68, 18. And Psalm 68, 18 says this. It says, you have ascended on high, you have led captive your captives, and you have received gifts from men. So Paul here in verse 7 and 8, Paul is partially quoting Psalm 68, which is a, a prophecy or a foreshadowing of the victory that Jesus would have over his enemies. Now, here's the interesting thing about Psalm 68 that Paul is quoting. Psalm 68 is a psalm written about God's victory. It's a psalm written about God ascending to the throne. So in this psalm, Psalm 68, God is, is coming down from heaven, right? He's coming down from heaven, metaphorically, and, and he's walking on the earth, metaphorically. And as he's walking on the earth, the psalm describes the describes the uh describes like an earthquake happening in the land and and the heavens giving forth its rain why because god is now here and he's leading his people and he, he's been a a father to the fatherless and god is uh, giving justice to the widow and so as he's walking through the earth the earth is, is is quaking and then the psalm goes on to describe how the kings of the earth because god is here this big victorious king um the kings of the earth they begin to leave and flee because of this mighty king king is here and as they begin to leave and flee they leave the spoils for God's people and as God ascends to his throne uh, the psalm describes God leaving captivity captive which could be some of his people who were captive enemies that he's now saying I've set you free or it also could be that God has taken his enemies captive and he's showing it to his, uh, his people so that they will no longer fear that he has overcome their enemies and so that is what this psalm is describing and it says God who is walking victorious and then later, this, this same God is now ascending up to his throne. And as he's ascending up to his throne, he begins to receive gifts from men, even those who rebelled against him, which means that everybody is now paying homage to this king who is now victorious. That is Psalm 68. That's the psalm that Paul is quoting. Now, here's the key point I want you to hear, see about this. Here in Ephesians chapter 4 in the New Testament, Paul identifies that God who is receiving honor and worship and ascending up to his throne as Jesus. That's the beauty of it. Psalm 68 is a, it's a psalm about God going to his throne. But later in the New Testament, Paul says that that God who's ascending, receiving honor and praise is Jesus. And so he's now quoting that here in Ephesians 7 and 8. That he's the one that was ascending up and giving gifts to his people. So Paul is saying that it is Jesus. He's the one. Now here's the ironic thing about this verse here. In Psalm 68, Jesus is the one who receives gifts from men. But here in Ephesians 4, the text says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So what Paul is showing is that the gift that, that Jesus received, it's like he's turning around and, and giving those gifts to his people. So this answers our first question about who is the giver of the spiritual gifts that we find here in Ephesians 4 and the identity of the giver of all the spiritual gifts. It's Jesus. 
That's our answer. That's the one who is giving the spiritual gifts. It's Jesus. He's the one that disperses the gifts. Now here's the thing about the gifts that Jesus gives to the church. The gifts that he gives to the church, guess what? The means by which we receive them are by grace. So it's not as if, if, if you have to earn anything. It's not as if I have to be a, a good person and God is going to give me these, these spiritual gifts. No, I don't merit these gifts. But these gifts come by grace. So that means that you, brother and sister in Christ, each one of you, guess what? There is a gift that God has put inside of you for the glory of his name and the building up of his church. And it's not, again, it's not just Pastor Brian and I. We're not the only ones with the gift. But that grace has also came to you if you are a born again believer. God has put something inside of you for the building up of his body and the glory of his name. You've been given this spiritual gift. Not that you earned it. Not that you've done anything for it. No, it is all by grace. And so if you think Christianity, brothers and sisters, if you think Christianity is just this, this, this faith of just I go to church on Sunday and I try to go and just live a moral life and that's it. No, that's religion. You've missed it. But God has gifted you with a gift so you can do service for his name and for his glory and for his church. It's not just coming to church. He's given you something inside to glorify his name. Now, these gifts are given by grace, which again means that you don't earn it. So I don't have to necessarily go to seminary to get the teaching gift, right? God could give you that. He gives you that by grace. Now, it's good to go to seminary. It's good to go to Bible college. I'm not knocking that. But I want you to see it's not earned at all. It's all by a matter of grace. It's just something that God gives you, and he does. And here's the other thing about the gift. The gift is not based on any natural ability that you have. That's not how you receive a spiritual gift. It's not like if God is saying, oh, well, this person over here is a really good speaker, so I'm going to make them a teacher in my church. No, that's, that's not how this works. All of the gifts that we receive are, come from grace. Nothing that we earn, not that we're just naturally good and God has said, oh, because you're good at that, I'm going to give you this gift. No, all of his gifts are truly 100% grace-based. Now, this is good news for some of us because as some of us begin to um, identify our, our calling and we begin to identify the, the gift that is inside of us, what's going to begin to happen is your flesh is going to rise up and you're going to think, oh, no, I can't do this. How do I know that? Because I did that myself when God put the calling upon me and he put his word in me and, and people said, oh yeah, you should be teaching. I'm like, no, that is not me. And that is what some of you are going to begin to do. You're going to begin to make excuses saying, no, but I'm not a good speaker and, and no, I'm an introvert or, or no, I don't even like kids and you want me to work with kids or, or no, I can't even work with this population. That is what you are going to begin to do. But because we know this by God's grace and it's not about nothing in ourselves, we got to go and walk in the gift that God has given us and not make excuses. It's not based on any natural ability. It's not because you're a good speaker or because you are just very smart. No, the gifts come by grace. So now we understand the means of the gift. So we understand the giver of the gift is Jesus Christ. He gives gifts to his church. He identifies five here, but we're going to identify some more next week. And we understand that the means of which we receive these spiritual gifts is by grace. We don't earn them. We don't work for them. It's not by natural ability. It is solely by Jesus Christ dispensing the gifts to his church. 
Now the next one is the attitude or the spirit of the giver who's given the gifts. That's the next thing we're going to see from this text. The attitude or the spirit of the giver who's given a gift. Think about this. If you ever, or I would say like this, the attitude of a, of a gift giver makes all the difference in the world, right? So if someone gives me a bad gift, for example, and their attitude is right, their heart is right, they could, just based on their attitude alone, that C minus gift can now go to a C or maybe a B minus, right? Depending on a person's attitude, right? Just, just the fact that they're, they, they really mean it and you know they really worked hard and they really wanted to give you this gift. And even if it's a gift that's not the best gift and you don't like it, their attitude or the spirit of which they give it can make the difference. And it's the same thing for a really good gift. Let's say somebody gives you a really good gift, something that you really like, something that is really valuable. If you know their attitude is bad, and they're giving out a compulsion and not really giving out of their heart, no matter if that gift is really great, in your eyes, it's going to lose some value, right? Why? Because their attitude was not right. And so when we go and we look here in Ephesians 4, and we consider the, a celebratory scene of Psalm 68 as Jesus is dispensing the gift, since this is a victory psalm in Psalm 68, and since we know that Jesus is overcoming his enemies as he's dispensing the gift, we can surmise from that that as Jesus is dispensing those gifts to the church, to his body, he's doing it cheerfully as he is descending to the throne. Right? We know that if Jesus has overcome the enemy and he's going to his heavenly throne and he's just defeated Satan, he just completed the Father's will, and as he's dispensing those gifts, just like the Romans would do when they're walking in the town and they're giving gifts to the people lined up, you know that the way that Jesus did it, he cheerfully gave these gifts to the church. His attitude was right. It was a joy. It was pleasing for Christ to give you the spiritual gifts. Matter of fact, before Christ ascends to the throne, the text seems to suggest that, that Christ made a pit stop in the lower parts of the earth. Now look at verse 8. I want to show you something here. It says this, Therefore, when he ascended up on high, he led, a, uh, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. And it says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who also descended is himself also he who descended far above all the heavens. The reason I read you this verse is because this text right there is controversial in the church. Some people, when it says that Christ descended, they believe that Christ descended down into hell after he died. And there's doctrines made behind that. Other people understand Christ descending as it's just representing what Christ did when he left heaven and he came to earth. Others see Christ descending when it says this, when Paul says that, is that Christ um, came down to earth, he left, and he died, and he went to the grave. And so they say that's what Paul means by descending. Another view is that when Jesus is descending, they believe that he went to the place of the dead or some spiritual underworld. And that's what Paul means by he descended. And that is a view that I would say that I hold in particular, that I don't know exactly where uh, Jesus went when he went to the grave. But I do know this, that 1 Peter 3, 18 to 20 says this, that after Jesus was put to death in the flesh and made alive in the spirit, that he went and made proclamations to the spirit now in prison who were once disobedient in the time of Noah. Now, I don't know if that's what Paul is getting at here, 
that this is what's happening, that Paul and Peter are aligned, that Jesus did go to this spiritual world, this under place, and make a proclamation to those spirits that are in disobedient. But I also know this, that in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10, that the scripture says this, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you get that first part? Every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth. You also find similar language in Revelations 5.13. We are told that this in Revelations 5.13. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever. So based on that, it's plausible that, or it could seem that Paul, that Christ went to the place of the dead, some spiritual realm, and he made a proclamation. And I believe that proclamation was the victory of God, that Christ is victorious. And so from here, this place of the dead, or this lower place that Paul is describing here, Christ now ascends to the throne, and as he's ascended to the throne victorious, he begins to dispense gifts to his church. And so based on these events, we know that when Jesus is offering or dispensing these gifts to the church, he's dispensing as a victorious ruler. So that tells me that his spirit or his attitude is very cheerful when he's ascending to the throne. That's what we find here. So as Jesus is ascending to the throne, as Paul is saying, as he's ascending up, having defeated Satan, having plundered his house, having uh, uh, touched the earth, and remain holy and unclean. I mean, I'm sorry. Let me get back to my point here. I lost myself here. And what I mean by this is that Jesus came and touched the earth. He was spotless, unlike any of us. He was holy, so yet he managed himself to do that, which is a victory. He also defeated death by resurrecting on the third day. And so now as he's going back to heaven, as he's going back to glory, he's now ascending cheerfully and dispensing these gifts to the believer, which is the church. And that is the image here that we are given in Ephesians 4. Now I want you to think about that. Think about that, that it pleased Christ to cheerfully give Pastor Brian, guess what? His teaching and pastoral gifts. That's what the text is showing us, that when he ascended, he ascended cheerfully, and he, he ascended and he gave these gifts to the church. And so when he's ascending, he cheerfully gave each believer their gift that, he's, that they're gonna use for his glory. So as he's ascending up on a throne, he cheerfully gave Pastor Brian his teaching and his preaching gifts. As he ascended to the throne, guess what? He cheerfully gave many Christians their teaching gifts that they're going to use via blogging and podcasting and YouTubes and, and books and songs and movies that they're going to write. See, he cheerfully gave those gifts. He, he cheerfully gave the teaching gift to Charles Spurgeon, and he gave Charles Spurgeon to the church. See, he cheerfully gave Brother Oleg the gift of helps, and he gave Brother Oleg to the church. See, he cheerfully gave Jordan the gift of helps, and he gave Jordan to the church. See, he clearly, he, he cheerfully gave the, the teaching gift to Eric Mason, to Paul Washer, to John MacArthur, to Tony Evans, to R.C. Sproul, to H.B. Charles, to all of these great teachers. He cheerfully gave them this teaching gift, and he he also gave them to the church which means guess what that since I'm a part of the church John MacArthur is mine 
Pastor Brian and his teaching gift is mine. Oleg with his gift of helps is mine. Jordan with his gift of helps is mine. See, he gave these gifts to the person, but they're for the sake of the church. And I am a part of the church, so those gifts have come to me. See, all of those gifts that you have, they're for the sake of the body. So all of the gifts he gave cheerfully. I'm thankful for the gift that he's given you, Pastor Brian. I'm thankful for the apologetic gift that he's given you, Brother Anthony. He gave it to you, yes, for his glory's sake and for the name of his church. So I'm a part of his church. You're mine. Your gift is mine. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. See, he, he gave these gifts cheerfully. So all of the gifts of the teachers and preachers that we hear, we got to thank the giver of the gift. Oftentimes we thank the messenger of the gift. We love the preacher, but we forget about the giver of the, uh, the, giver of the gift. Or we even idol, I, um, we, we treat the gift as, a, as an idol. We idolatrize the, the, the gift of preaching. No, we must go back and look to the giver of the gift. He gave these gifts cheerfully to the church. And you are the church, so all of those gifts, guess what? They're yours. Take them. Say that they're mine, right? That's the beauty of the gift that he gave cheerfully. Now, here's another thing about the gifts that Christ has given to this church. I don't know if you realize this, but do you realize that every time you're walking in your gift, you're bringing a little piece of heaven to earth? Did you know that? Every time you're walking in the spiritual gift that Christ gave you, you're bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. Some of you are saying, okay, Jerome, what do you mean by that? If God has given me the, the spiritual gift of giving, which that's a spiritual gift. There are some people that can give and they just love giving and that's just what they do. So you're saying, okay, Jerome, if God has given me this spiritual gift of giving, um, how am I bringing heaven to earth to that? Well, I want you to see this. It's, the answer is right in the text. The gift that we find here in Ephesians that are identified, the fivefold ministry or what? They're apostle, right? When you keep reading in the text, verse 11, they're apostle. That's the gift that's identified here in Ephesians 4. It's, it's prophet. That's identified here in Ephesians 4. It's evangelist. That's identified in Ephesians 4. And it's pastor and teacher. Do you realize that all of these gifts that are identified here in Ephesians 4 are gifts that want originate in Jesus as being part of the Trinity? And they're also gifts that Christ had and displayed in his earthly ministry. All of the gifts that he just displayed here, talked about in Ephesians 4, are all gifts, again, that originate in Jesus as being a part of the Godhead. And they're also gifts that Jesus had and displayed in his earthly ministry. Think about it. The word apostle, right? The word apostle in the Greek literally means sent one. Guess what? It's not a Christian term. I know we like to take it as ours, but it's not literally a Christian term. This word apostle in the Greek is just a sent one. You're sent by another. Who was Jesus sent by? Jesus was sent by the Father. Jesus is the ultimate and great apostle. Matter of fact, Hebrews 3.1 says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Jesus Christ is the ultimate apostle. He's the ultimate sent one. Let's look at the other gift that Paul identifies in Ephesians 4, prophet. Jesus Christ was the chief, guess what, an ultimate prophet. In Acts chapter 3, verse 22, 
Peter's speaking to the Jewish crowd. And you know what he does when he's speaking to the Jewish crowd? He reminds him of the prophecy of the great prophet that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18, which says this, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. So he identifies Jesus as that great prophet. So we see Jesus is the ultimate prophet. What is the other gift he identifies here? Evangelists. How does Jesus kick off his earthly ministry in Mark 1.15? By saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the gospel. That is what Jesus did. He was an evangelist telling people to repent and believe the gospel. What about the term pastor that we see there? Another title for pastor is what? Shepherd. What does Hebrews 13.20 tell us about Jesus? Now the God of peace who brought us from the dead, who brought up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. So here Jesus is identified the shepherd of the sheep doing this um, while he was on earth, right? That was part of his ministry. He was the great shepherd of the sheep. He was pastoring the people, right? So we see also this pastoring gift. Let's go to the next one, teacher. Now this one, I don't even have a scripture reference because it should be obvious, right? All Jesus did was teach. He taught in parables. He gave proper understanding of the law. He taught us one, have an authority. So you see, all of these gifts that Jesus has inside of him, these are the gifts that he gave to the church. All of the spiritual gifts are gifts that come outside from him. So when I'm walking in my spiritual gift, whatever that may be, now I am bringing heaven to earth. Now I am bringing the kingdom of God to earth by my actions in me living out this calling or gift that God has given me. And so that's what I mean by every time you walk in obedience, every time Pastor Brian is studying that scripture and he's teaching the word of God, he's bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. Every time Anthony is going out and he's evangelizing, he's using apologetics, he's, he's bringing a little bit of heaven to earth as he's modeling Jesus. Every time Oleg is just so eager to help and to, to be a help to others, guess what? He's bringing heaven to earth and he's modeling Jesus. Every time we're showing compassion and if God is giving you the gift of mercy and you're showing that mercy you're bringing heaven to earth you're bringing the kingdom of God to earth and you're bringing a little bit of the kingdom to this world see all of the gifts that he's given here in Ephesians 4 they come from God they come from Christ and so that should encourage you my brothers and sisters to to want to walk in those gifts to want to bring heaven to earth to want to bring the kingdom of God to earth and the gifts that he has given us, that he has dispensed to his church. Now, I, I know this, there's this objection that I hear in my head when I was reading that text and, and God was giving me understanding to, of it. And that is, some will say, but hold on, there are nice people in the world that do nice things that help like Oleg. Like, what makes my gift different from their, what they're doing are there's nice people that are compassionate in the world. If God has given me ultimate compassion as a spiritual gift, what makes my diff, gift different from this other person? And I want to answer you that with a Floyd Mayweather quote. <laughs> and if, if you don't know who Floyd Mayweather is, he's a famous boxer. He just retired. Um, he's considered one of the best pound for pound boxers ever. Uh, he claims to be a Christian. But he has this quote about his opponents. He would say that other boxers are gifted. So he would say, yes, they're gifted. But then he would go on to say, after pausing for a few minutes, he would say, but I am God gifted. 
Do you see the difference there? He would say that other boxers are gifted. Yes, they're gifted. But what makes me different, he says, is that I am God gifted. Now, the point that I want you to get is not does God give people the box. That's not the point. But the point I want you to see that there is a difference from a believer who is walking in this God gifted gift than from a non-believer who's just doing an action. See, there's a different spirit at work when a believer who has been gifted by the Holy Spirit to go do an action versus a regular person who's just mimicking an action that God has given his church. See, there, there is a difference. There's a different power. There's a different attitude there. So there is a difference, church, between when you do your acts of charity, your acts of kindness, your acts of good deeds to the glory of God, and when a person who is a non-believer does those acts to the glory of God. And we will dig into those next week. We'll dig a little bit more into, again, the fivefold ministry. We're going to dig into those. But we're also going to dig into some of the other spiritual gifts that are not in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 is not an exhaustive list. That's just a list of some of the scriptorial or leadership offices that Christ has given his church. But he's also given other gifts to his church. And we're going to dig into some of those. And we're going to see how all of this fits together with what Paul is saying here in Ephesians chapter 4. So really, we're kind of leave. If you, if you ever watch a, a TV show and you're stopping in the middle, we're kind of stopping in the middle. It's a lot more that'll make some of this stuff even more clear that we've talked about today. But I want to end early because I wanted to just hit on these two points. So next week, we'll dig in the others. Today, we're just going to stop right here where we are. So on that note, let us just go into prayer and close out. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for these spiritual gifts that you have given your church. God, I thank you for the attitude in which you gave them a cheerful one, Lord God. And I thank you for the grace that you've given us, that you didn't make us earn it, but it was just your goodness unto us, Lord God. So we thank you for that. God, I pray that you uh, bring my brother and sister here, give them more understanding and knowledge of the gift that you have given them or the gifts that you have given them and the calling for which they must walk in, Lord God. Um, as they see that, may they rejoice in it. Uh, may they cultivate the, the gifts that you have given them, Lord God, for your namesake and for the glory of your church. Um, we love you, Lord. Keep opening our eyes and giving us new and more revelation. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.